Hello and welcome back to the Cybersock podcast with me, Adam. And me, Ryan. Today we've got another special guest, Carl Jones, a senior lecturer at Cardiff University's School of Computer Science. Hello, Carl. Hello, both. How are you? We're doing well. Thank you so much for coming on. It's great to have you on. Pleasure. I'm always excited to talk to someone who's not Adam, because <laughs> I just feel like I talk to Adam all the time. <laughs> you sent us an email after an episode a couple of weeks ago where we ranked frameworks and libraries uh, as a response in your opinions on what you described as smells in code. Me and Ryan really like that email. Would you like to give us a rundown of your thoughts? I'd like to start as well by asking you if you can explain what is a smell? So that email actually came more about from that paper that I sent you. And that was about having a shared model and a shared understanding in Teams. So the paper was all about what allows a team to function well. And I think the first point they made was that any team needs to have a shared understanding, a shared goal, a shared set of vocabulary. And that got me thinking about, well, hang on, is there this notion of a shared smell to a code base? What do I mean by a smell? Well, we often talk about things like technical debt. That might be it's badly structured, that methods are too long, that it may be lacking automated tests, that classes aren't particularly cohesive. But I thought that you know even good code has a scent of the developer. I can often tell people who've come, say, from a .NET background, when they've been doing work for me in Java, there are things in their coding approaches that just gives it away because there are conventions in .NET. And that, to me, is a scent of that particular developer. You can tell where their, what their background is, the idioms that they are used to. And the point I made in the email was actually sometimes you've got to be disciplined enough to say, you know what, I actually need to desensitize the code base because somebody else is going to maintain this. Somebody else is going to work with it. And therefore, I don't want it to be incredibly specific to me such that I'm the only person who can maintain it in the future. And so I think this is some of the things that we've tried to get across in some of the modules. When you're writing stuff is to just be cognizant that every time you're doing some coding, every line of code you write, every variable name you choose, every method name you choose, that's that's a little bit of you going into that code base. You know, if I asked the two of you to code a method, the likelihood is you might come up with similar method names, but there would probably be something there which was the Odo Adam and the Odo Ryan, which would be subtly different. It may be that you need to think about, is that neutral enough that if Carl came along in three months time and saw it, it would still be understandable? Or is that specific to me? And it's something I would probably think about whether or not we do enough to really emphasize this common understanding. I think maybe we overpressurize you to getting to coding day one and actually just taking a step back and thinking, hang on, what are the key domain terms? What are our goals? What are our shared ways of working and shared understanding of the problem space would be a better way of doing it and would lead to ultimately a better success at the end. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think me and Ryan experienced that on a project we did a couple of years ago. There was a lot of discussion early on on what we should call types of users. So, So we did have a few discussions on this type of user, we're going to call them an agent and this one a trainer. And I think looking back, that was quite useful because then when we structured the database and structured the APIs, we had that kind of shared understanding. Yeah. The other influence that I've had on this metaphor is there's, there's a book which I haven't read yet, but it's called Your Code is a Crime Scene. And it just got to me like, well, one of the things you'd have at a crime scene is the dogs turn up and they smell around, <laughs> you know. What, what have you left behind? And I may be getting their metaphor completely misrepresented there, but it got me thinking on my metaphor. That's what you want is you just want to leave behind something 
that somebody else can work with. It fits in their head, not just fits in your head. Yeah. Is that useful? I think that's useful. It made me think as well about the project we're working on right now, because even with maybe the parts of the code that are less smelly than other parts, they still, as you say, have their scent. So perhaps if we compare like me and Adam's work, if you blindly looked at both of them, you could see that they weren't written by the same person. They each have their scent. And that just made me really think about that, because it's not something I'd really thought about in that way, you know? I found it very interesting. I think one of the things I sent you right at the start of the project, where we were in that very first chat with your other teammates, was this idea of possibly having captains of a ship. So each member of your team may be captain of a certain part of your overall project. And therefore, this idea of neutralizing the entire code base may be completely aspirational. And that there are going to be parts of the code base where the dominant smell is Ryan. But there's enough people who can understand and work with Ryan's code. And equally, there'll be an Adam part that is mainly Adam, but is neutral enough. So I don't think it's 100% neutralization. I think it's just being aware that you may have to tone down your personal way of coding so that it is usable by others. Because I think we had a conversation before about actually it's easier to work sometimes on your own. Yeah, I say this all the time. (laughs) Yeah, because at that point, the only person in the room is you. Um, (laughs) To use a very unfortunate part of the metaphor... We all like our own smells. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think that's quite, I think it's quite hard to know how how you're different to other people. I think it's come up a few times when in reviews uh, where me and Ryan have reviewed each other's code. There's been a few times when I've looked at his code and he's looked at mine and there's, we just go about things in very different ways and didn't really understand that was different to how other people would go about it. And I think with that example there, Adam, neither way is wrong. It's just the way that we work around certain problems is not the same. And that's, I think that's fine. But then it adds to this smell problem. (laughs) Yeah, I think the best way of around it for me is just time. It'd be the more reviews that we look at from each other, the the closer we're able to move towards just a consensus of this is how we deal with these problems. Yeah. I think a failure we've had in this project, maybe, and um, we've mentioned a bit about having a captain or like a leader of certain sections. And I don't think we've had that really. And I, I think maybe sometimes the project would have benefited from having some kind of leader. Yeah, initially, I was very anti having a leader leading a section and having ownership of it at the start. But after what we've been going through, and I think I've mentioned it in previous podcast there's just been a lot of decision by committee which is quite tiring and I don't think worthwhile having someone just lead and say well this is what we're doing I think would speed things up and make it clearer Mm -hmm. yeah for every small thing everyone in the team has to vote and accept on it right (laughs) especially at the start of a project when you're not quite sure what way you're going to take things what technologies you'll use etc yeah I think that's an interesting thing to think about because in bigger organizations like my background, you would have people who were called end-to-end designers and their job was literally to tie together systems of systems and to know what the interactions might be. But then you would have component designers whose job was to own a particular system. So they would be the captain of that particular component and they know all the intricacies of that particular area. You can't possibly fit all products in a major organization into somebody's head at a detailed level. You can have it at a high level, and that's what end-to-end solution designers do. Again, it goes back to the point we talked about at the start, is you don't want a single point of failure. But if you have one captain of the ship and somebody else who is 
often working in that area or more than one person who is often also working in that area, then you'd hope almost by osmosis those others pick up enough information that if they had to pick it up, they could. We sort of had this idea, I don't know if we've even mentioned this on the podcast, Adam, about the major minor system. Uh, No, I think this might be its debut. (laughs) (laughs) So it might be interesting to talk about that because that was our way to solve having like a shared knowledge of the code base. But I think it's actually failed in that respect. (laughs) Yeah, so we, to solve this shared knowledge problem, we decided that at the start of every sprint each of us would be assigned someone else as a a miner. And that would be your first point of call for any issues you're having with the project. They would be the person to review it, anything you you code up. Uh, It's a fairly simple system. It failed because our team is too small and we're moving, I think, too quickly to have a lot of worthwhile discussions with people. Yeah, we went into this with this great idea that we'd have this amazing shared knowledge by having this major minor system. But in reality, I don't think we do have a shared knowledge. We only really know about what we've worked on and a little bit about what we've reviewed. There's there's not this like grand shared knowledge where we all understand everything. Maybe that's unattainable though, I don't know. But I just feel like we haven't achieved what we set out to in that regard. Difficult to speak about that in hindsight, but what are the other patterns that you know, you could now compare and contrast to. You could obviously talk about pair programming. And if you're pair programming, then what's the metaphor in, in pair programming? That you have a driver and a navigator. You know, is that major versus minor? I don't, I don't know in terms of how you've interpreted major, minor completely. But if you're doing pair programming, you would be rotating the pairs so that everybody gets to drive and navigate on all parts of the code. Some organizations swear blindly that you know pair programming is the right way of doing it. Some even say mob programming is the right way of doing things. You know, you get the speed, you're building faster, higher quality. You've got the shared knowledge and you've got that ability, therefore, to allocate people to whatever you need to do next. Mm-hmm. The other yeah. way of getting shared knowledge so that everybody knows everything is what I've heard is described as the Pixar way of doing reviews. So Pixar will produce a few seconds of video every day and basically then show everybody what each person has done. So everybody gets to critique everybody else's work. And quite often that ends up with, you know, don't like that, you know, Buzz shouldn't do that, Woody shouldn't say that, Nemo should swim a different direction, whatever. We did the Pixar model for a while when I was in industry. And the one advantage of that was we could basically say Pixar review is straight after lunch every day. Because I don't know whether you've had the problem, is that if you try to set four people off on pieces of work and say it must be code reviewed, those four pieces of work will all come to end at different points of the day. And then you've got to disturb someone who may be in their flow, right in the middle of their greatest piece of work ever. Now, do you delay the review and say, I'm going to have unreviewed code sitting somewhere and not integrate it? And we all know that frequent integration is good. So do I push unreviewed code in or do I disturb someone or do I adopt something like Pixar and say, well, we know it's going to be reviewed half past one each day. So we might have to batch things up. Hang on. But batching things up means that the review takes longer. There was a set of rules I saw, and I think it's on Martin Fowler's website, where he classifies the changes into three areas. And some of them you basically say, look, these do not require a full review. Some of these I will merge and we'll do the review afterwards purely for structural comments. 
It's not that it's unsafe, but you know, maybe I could make it better. And some of them are just do it. So I think if you have a look on Martin Fowler's website, there's a really nice set of patterns there that might be something that would help you in this area that you don't always go with major minor. Actually, is dependent on the work and the change that you want reviewed. Yeah, that's really interesting. And that Martin Fowler example there, I think I really like that because someone on our team has mentioned, what if we all reviewed each other's merge requests? And that feels like more work than we'd want. You know, we'd be waiting on things a lot longer. But as you said, not everything requires that full review. But there are some things that would. So you could kind of split it up that way. This merge request is quite large, I'd like everyone in the team to look at it so we all have this shared knowledge of how this works. But for smaller features, you don't need that on every merge request, right? So I I quite like that idea. So it's called ship, show or ask. Okay. Basically, you either ship the change, so you merge it without review. You show it, which means you open a pull request, but merge it immediately. Or you ask, which means you open a pull request for discussion before you merge. Mm-hmm. So there's the, th- there's the three models there. And the article is actually by someone called Ruan Wilzerach, but it's on Martin Fowler's website. That mm-hmm. might be a useful thing to compare to what you're doing with Major Minor. There are occasions, and in my experience, when I've done work more professionally, where you want to get a hotfix or something in, something's failing, and it's a very quick few lines change or something like that. And waiting for someone to review that feels unnecessary sometimes. Yeah, adding on to what Adam's just said there as well, is that we've required a review for every merge. You have to have it approved and reviewed, which for small things does not really work, in my opinion. (laughs) Yeah, so I think this is a nice little bit of wisdom from Martin for you to reflect on in your report. Yes, yeah. I I think anyone can reflect on it. I mean, there are other things you can do sort of in modern development techniques, such as feature toggles. Dave Farley talks about it a lot, Dave's latest book, I think it's called Modern Software Engineering, is well worth reading. And Dave talks a lot about not branching, Mm -hmm. never using feature branches. Now, I'm not in the never using feature branches school, but I am definitely in the, you should look at yourself carefully if a feature branch lasts for more than a day. Yeah, a merge that I've just uh, merged a couple of days ago and Ryan reviewed for me, it was initially not too large but I ended up just scope creeping it larger and larger I never took a step back and thought wait this is like three issues in one and then I gave it to Ryan who had to review it and it was just a massive merge (laughs) to try and review just reflect on how you could get a little bit better each day you know what are the things that if you just thought about it and made a different decision on a certain day you could have avoided a little bit of pain Don't beat yourself up about not being where the best of the best of the best are. I think in that way, not just like on ourselves, but on the project, we've been like very strict with our reviews. We want to make sure it's at 100% perfection, you know, except that did not happen this week because we had a client meeting earlier today and last night we were just mobbing to get all these merges in. The review process kind of went out the window just because we wanted to have everything merged into main. And, you know, that wasn't great for the quality of the project. But actually, though, I feel like morale was a lot higher when we were doing things that way. We all seemed much happier than when we were being very strict about things. 
Mm. I just found it an interesting observation that I made last night. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think in the end, you're delivering capability that you want to demonstrate. And that makes you feel good because you think you're going to do a better job for the client and that you've made more progress. You know, making progress is always motivational. You know, that's mm. why a lot of people talk about you should set goals that are achievable. You know, there's this idea of smart goals and that you get motivated by actually then achieving them. So if you had a goal of having things ready for demonstration, capabilities available for demonstration to a client, then I can imagine how the motivation would naturally go up. The knock-on effect is if you've compromised, therefore, on quality, you probably need to look at, well, how much of a compromise was it? What's the technical debt that might slow you up in the next week and the next week? So you would have to fix it or improve it at some point in the future. The other thing might be is, was perfect the enemy a good? Did you go too far? You know, going back to the smells idea was, were you pouring too much Febreze on your code base when actually leaving a little bit of Odorion would have been acceptable? <laughs> yeah, I think we were probably overly strict for the stage we were at because we wanted everything to be perfect early on in a project. And it wasn't yeah. even at MVP level. Yes. Why does it need to be like so perfect at that point? You know, when you can, you can oh, always right. come back to refactor. Yeah. So again, the person I always quote, which is Dan, Dan talks about the three ages of software. And the three ages of software is hypothesizing, stabilizing, and commoditizing. So at the start of a project, you're often hypothesizing. You don't know what you don't know. So you're building stuff in order to learn predominantly the domain. You might also be learning something about your, the stack that you're going to build with. But at that point in time, do you really want to invest or overly invest in the quality of the code? What we're really doing is improving our knowledge of the domain and the solution that we want to build. Once you've got to a point where you're not hypothesizing and you do know what you want to build, then you should go into stabilizing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the mergers we were doing last night went too far <laughs> the other way because Brian was messaging me this morning looking at the production site and going, Adam, your merge is just not working. <laughs> <laughs> we worked locally, but it doesn't actually work on production. And so I had to rush about hot fixing things. So I think there is a line and we probably crossed it on both sides of the line. Yes, too far. We, we seem to have this all or nothing thinking. It has to be perfect or not. <laughs> yeah, There's no in between. <laughs> Yeah, and I think you can mix and match. So if, for example, you knew that you were going to start by investigating a part of your domain, you could have had part of the team or even all of the team just hypothesizing in that area. It's all about learning the domain, learning the problem and understanding the solution you're going to build, possibly also learning the stack that you're going to use. And then you say, right, now that we know that part, we're going to start stabilizing the code for that part. But part of the team is now going to start hypothesizing on the next part. So part of your code base will be moving forward in a very random, possibly low quality, but focused on learning purpose. Whereas other parts of your code base are now subject to the more stricter controls that you'd want because you're now stabilizing it. So you can have both types of code in your code base at the same time. It's just knowing what is stable and what is not. Yeah, I like that. We have been very strict on some things just to not merge them in. I think with that, that strictness as well, me and Adam are fine now, but last week we were not fine. We had a lot of friction <laughs> between us. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, I think that was because we were being so strict with needing this perfection. But why do we need that so early on? We're still experimenting and learning, you know? Well, I think what you're saying is, is that bit of code that you're having the argument about, about the level of perfection, <laughs> is that going to be code that 
is there for the MVP, but it's also there for everyone a day. And is it also core and almost skeletal? You know, it's the spine of a system that the rest of it will grow upon. Yeah. Yes, I would say you probably need a big focus on quality there because if you get that wrong, everything else may not work. If you're trying to look for an MVP that is essentially a prototype that you really don't care about the quality, actually what you're looking for is user feedback, then maybe you're asking different questions about quality. The problem is if if you put something out that's an MVP and the qualities are low and everybody loves it, suddenly you have got the question that what becomes a prototype with 10 users becomes something that hundreds and thousands want to use and your code starts creaking. So you've got to balance these risks. What is the purpose of the code you're writing? Who's your audience? What's the type of feedback you want to get? And how are you going to be able to deal with good news and bad news? Yeah, it is often, it's really easy to to look back and think of, oh, this process is right. Uh, but when, once you're in there with the blinkers on, just trying to get something to work, it's difficult to have a bird's eye view of it. Yeah, and again, as I said, don't beat yourselves up. I mean, the fact that you're making these observations and asking yourselves whether you could have done it differently, better, what are your regrets, shows that you are reflective engineers. And that's a good thing. Give yourselves a pat on the back for actually asking the questions. And guess what? You're going to be doing that for 30 years because <laughs> that's what I've been doing for 30 something years. I would say I've still got a lot to reflect upon. You know, I'm certainly not in the league of the Dans and the Martins and the Daves. So yeah, I think it's just a case of be comfortable with where you are, be comfortable with sometimes getting things wrong, but knowing that you are capable of dealing with criticism and adapting accordingly. Yeah. I think we have learned a lot over this project, especially about working with others and a lot of the things that we've just mentioned today, you know, are things that we can take forward with us. Yeah, I've worked with Ryan before. We were quite separated in that you had your domain at the front end. I have my domain in the back end. Yeah. And if you wanted to implement something, I didn't care. It just needed to like, happen. Now we're talking about how we're implementing things and I've got ideas of how I'd implement it. And I think they're right. And you similarly think yours is right. Yeah, in, in that project Adam's mentioning there, it was a research project over the summer and I was doing front end, Adam was doing back end, but I feel like we were sort of just like one entity, Adam, because <laughs> we would work on features as one all the time, you yeah. know? I think it's easier working as a two than a four because now you have twice the amount of problems. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think the biggest failure in this project has been process. There's been not a lot of shared understanding, a lot of shared friction. A lot of problems that we've encountered. <laughs> yes, shared friction. I like that. But we all feel the pain. <laughs> yeah, but I think it's a case of you're always going to get friction. There is going to be different interpretations because you just haven't settled into that common understanding. So again, I would say don't beat yourselves up about there being friction. It's good to be honest with each other if there are disagreements because at least you can get those sorted and aired earlier on but there's a really good book on change it's called switch by the heath brothers and they use the metaphor of a rider on top of an elephant where the rider is your rational thought and the elephant is the emotions and essentially however much the rider your rational thought tries to guide the elephant if the, if the emotions want to take you in a different direction guess which way it's going so sometimes if you want to make change You've got to understand people and you've got to understand what drives them and what their emotional feelings might be about that change. If you feel you're personally insulting the code that they've written or the decisions that they've made, it's going to be very difficult to change them. Even if there is rational argument for saying, that's rubbish, you have to think about the person behind it. And it's a very difficult thing to do. 
it is as much a skill as being able to code in whatever framework or language you want to use. Dealing with other people and bringing the best out of them is something that you should aspire to grow as well. So we asked this in our last interview type podcast. Is there anything you'd like to ask us before we go? I suppose the only thing I'd want to know is when you leave us, are you going to go with fond memories? Yeah, I will. Yes. <laughs> that was a qualified <laughs> yes, Ryan. <laughs> I have fond memories and non-fond memories, I think. Yeah. But isn't that the same with everything, you know? Mm. Yeah. So what will be your best memories? Mm. What will be the things that in 10 years' time you think, oh, I'm going to remember somebody saying that while I was at the NSA? I think the most impactful parts of it were unlikely to be any specific lectures but just the experience of working like this working together with people not always positive right in the moment I might have been frustrated and angry but I think valuable and interesting and I value that yeah I'm just trying to think of my highlights because um, I could program and things like that before university. But something that I've really valued learning is, Adam will be shocked to hear this, is the more agile side of things, which is not something that I'd even looked at before. It was like nothing to me, you know? And how that can then leak into your software, so how you can improve the quality of your software by being more agile, that's very valuable to me and something that I hadn't really experienced or thought about before. So that's something that I will take with me, I think, for a long time, this kind of more agile thinking of building software. Even when you're working on your own, you can be more agile with things, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think it's nice what Adam said there about it's not necessarily a particular lecture, but it's the working together. And, you know, I did a traditional computer science course, but it probably took me five to ten years in industry to build up those more social and people skills. And I'd like to think that you two and all of your peers and all the students have gone through the NSA will leave a little bit further down the road than I was when I went into industry. Yeah, I've really enjoyed my time at the NSA. I thought it was very good. And I've also really enjoyed this podcast. Thank you for (laughs) being here, Carl. Pleasure. Good luck with what's left. Thank you. Yes. Enjoy that and hope to see your graduation. Yeah. Fingers crossed. <laughs> and all the best for the future. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks very much, Carl. We really appreciate it.